Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hello, how's it going? And today we're talking about the Suicide Squad. I'd rather not be called at all, but I'll do anything to get out of this hell hole. Well, welcome to anything. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Well, we consider that term degrading. The official term is Task Force X. Love them or hate them, these are your brothers and sisters for the next few days. This is an ultra-violent DC superhero anti-hero action comedy. Directed by James Gunn. The cast includes Yondu, Annalise Keating, New Robocop, Castle, Jack McClane, the King of Staten Island, the director's brother, Harley Quinn, Heimdall, there's uh, another name here, but I can't really see it, Rocky Balboa, Joker's Thug, and Doctor Who. I watched this movie on HBO Max. Joey, how did you watch it? This was the epitome of HBO Mid, right? I'm saying it, all right? I'm, He's okay, going listen, there. Listen, I, we watch a lot of movies on this program. I have interacted with a lot of different streaming services and their applications on my cellular device. And let me just say, this one sucks, okay? Wow. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> here's wait. Our, here's what, you watch this movie on your phone? Okay, that's, that, that's a good point. Let me explain. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, 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 sat, yeah, I sat in a closet. I watched it on a train while I was watching on my phone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I watch all of my media through my phone. I actually have a Chromecast, which I think is the, one of the greatest devices ever made. It's revolutionized like watching things for me personally. And I watch a lot of YouTube through there, Netflix. Those, uh, and, and I think uh, Amazon Prime's video player, all of them work pretty well. I, they all have the skip back function. You know, it's easy to see. A lot of them, uh, YouTube and Netflix is actually have like a drop down thing where it's actually in my like uh, push notification so I can control it without even opening the app. Um, I think Amazon Prime is, is in that range, but not quite. HBO Max and Hulu have the same problem where every time I want to pause this movie, I have to reopen the app. And it goes, HBO Max, dot, 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 dot. And then it's like, where are you? Uh, what are you doing again? And it like, has to load <laughs> up the movie that I'm, it's currently streaming. And then I have to figure out where it is and then pause it and then go back 15 seconds. But it's not like YouTube is where you can, where you can buffer it, where you can say 15 seconds, 15 seconds, 15 seconds, right? You can double tap on the screen multiple times. No, this one, you hit 15 seconds and you've hit it again, it doesn't load until that starts playing again. So really it only skips back about 13 seconds and then you have to hit it again. <laughs> so if you're missing like a minute, then you have to go through the scrubbing motion. It's a pain. That it's sounds unbearable. That and sounds I'm probably going to stop watching stuff on my phone from now on. But the problem is that all these other streaming services actually use have apps that work. And when they stream through this very convenient uh, device that I have, they work great. And this one is not great. And it makes me upset. And it's hard to watch movies the way I want to watch movies, which is being able to pause and rewind and say, hey, I just missed that. What was that? Hey, what's that on his shirt? What is that? All that stuff. Love that. Can't do it with HBO Max. So screw you, HBO Max. Yeah, you heard you, it here. You have first. nothing on me. 
I love Veep, which is why I still have you. Otherwise, you're out of here. You heard it here first, folks. HBO Mid confirmed. But we're not here to review streaming services necessarily. We're here to review the Suicide Squad. So we'll begin with our synopsis that Joey wrote for this episode. So Joey, get us started. Amanda Waller runs a super prison for super villains. In exchange for reduced sentences and other favors, she recruits prisoners for her special Task Force X, aka the Suicide Squad. The idea is that they can perform extremely dangerous missions on behalf of the US government without putting any real superheroes in harm's way or asking them to compromise on their morals. The latest iteration of Task Force X features Harley Quinn, the Joker's crazy ex-GF, Rick Flagg, a normal human man, Bloodsport, a mercenary with special weapons, Peacekeeper, a vigilante who loves to kill, King Shark, a human-shark hybrid with a taste for human flesh, Ratcatcher 2, a young woman who can control rats, and Polka Dot Man, a man inflicted with an interdimensional virus that allows him to expel deadly tiddlywinks. Of all our characters, only Rick Flagg is there voluntarily. All others have a special device inserted into their neck that Amanda Waller can remote detonate, killing them at will. Task Force X lands on the island nation of Corto Maltese. Their mission is to infiltrate a secret military base called Jotunheim and destroy all evidence of something called Project Starfish. The U.S. government is afraid that the new leader of Corto Maltese will use Project Starfish as a weapon against the world, and they want it neutralized. Our heroes capture Garius Greaves, a.k.a. The Thinker, a mad scientist who has been working on Project Starfish. Coerced, he brings them to Jotunheim. Inside, the team splits up. Half set explosive charges to blow the building up, The other half go into the basement to see Project Starfish. There, underneath Jotunheim, they meet the subject of Project Starfish, Starro the Conqueror. He is a giant starfish-shaped alien that exudes small versions of himself that he uses to turn people into his drones. There are tons of people locked in cages with starfish on their faces. The Thinker has been experimenting and torturing Starro for the last 30 years. The Thinker also reveals that his work was largely funded by the U.S. government, and Task Force X's true mission was to cover up the U.S.'s involvement in Project Starfish. Rick Flagg is horrified and vows to reveal the truth to the world, but Peacekeeper won't allow it. He and Flagg fight, and Peacekeeper kills Flagg. The entire building begins to collapse as the explosives trigger. Bloodsport arrives just as Peacekeeper is about to kill Ratcatcher 2, and Bloodsport outshoots Peacekeeper, killing him. With Jotunheim destroyed, Starro emerges from the rubble and begins to take hosts and destroy buildings. Amanda Waller orders Task Force X to come home. But the remaining team cannot sit back and watch as innocent people are killed. They turn back, intending to kill Starro. Waller is furious, but before she can blow them all up, one of her staff members knocks her out and Task Force X continues towards their goal. Together, they successfully take down Starro, saving what remains of the city. 
Bloodsport uses the recovered data on Project Starfish as leverage against Waller, and the team walks away. The end. So there you have wow. it. Yes. The Suicide Squad, not to be convinced with 20, 2016 movie Suicide Squad. Suicide uh, Squad, not the same thing. Right. We will begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about The Suicide Squad? It's a fun movie. It's uh, violent. It's bloody. really gory. Um, it's got a very consistent and unique singular tone that something... It really shows uh, James Gunn's influence on this movie. Um, some really classic superhero action, creative visuals, and title sequences. Those are, are pretty awesome. Uh, Well-fleshed-out characters. And I think tasteful references to American imperialism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I thought this movie had a lot of good twists. Definitely subverted my expectations multiple times. It's funny. It has a great cast. Unexpected deaths that help to make everyone at least feel mortal, if not just be proven mortal outright. Uh, it has a non-linear storyline that I feel always chose the right times to jump backwards in the story, which later paid off with satisfying uh, you know, resuming of the story when you get back to that point. I thought that worked well. Ambitious visuals, exciting music, very James Gunn, and brutal carnage that fully takes advantage of being rated R. Oh, yeah. This movie has a <laughs> lot going for it. This movie is a hard R. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> I think that's a great transition to our cons. What did we not like about the Suicide Squad, Joey? The story is not character driven. Um, and because of that, it's ultimately hollow. And I have a lot of good examples and stuff to say about that. We'll get to them later. And despite all of this kind of subversiveness, this is still very much a superhero movie. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get tired of superhero movies. Superhero fatigue? <laughs> now? <laughs> <laughs> 2021? <laughs> I, uh, I felt like this movie, I liked how it was funny. I liked how it was unserious. But at times, they went a little too far into unseriousness where you kind of just have to roll your eyes. Uh, and also, while I do like the characters in this movie they only go so deep and i'm also going to expand on that a little bit more in our overall section which we will begin right now so first off i feel like this is an unavoidable comparison to make this movie is way better than the original <laughs> i think this like this is what suicide squad could have been uh because the original it, you know the idea of having the bad guys be the quote-unquote good guys that's really cool that's that's novel it, it yeah. hasn't been done really in the like hollywood superhero cinematic universes so that's awesome i really like that and i feel like this movie does it much better than the original the, definitely like every i 100 agree with that and the the original i mean i don't know the, the whole like misfit characters thing it's sort of become a james gunn staple you know yes, Guardians of the galaxy uh has very similar uh vibes to that especially since a lot of them were kind of criminals when they started and then sort of became heroes as the story progressed right um and this one they're very much criminals but uh you know they kind of have a heart of gold you might say the original like had a lot of trouble with the studio from what i remember and this is like this is interesting that twice in this year uh, DC has come out with movies that sort of retcon 
their previous movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and have made vast improvements to them by letting the like in both of those cases, by letting the director have a much wider range and much more say in what happens in the movie. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Take notes, I guess. Big studio films. I guess it still feels like a little bit too little too late but i did feel like this i agree with that this one makes me feel a lot better about dc um first off i mean this is definitely first off when it comes to this movie but i loved that basically anybody could die i went into this movie thinking okay so this is the pete davidson suicide squad okay this should be cool (laughs) and next thing i knew his face was completely blown off like i wasn't sure if that was his power or something like like, get up pete (laughs) Uh, which was awesome. I love that they were able to do that. And I love that Pete Davidson's willing to put himself in that situation and be such a cameo role ultimately. Uh, but the, the, the fake Suicide Squad at the beginning of the movie was a great misdirect and really set the tone for how brutal this movie would be. I love that they didn't hold back on that brutality. And at this point, that's all DC's got over Marvel, in my opinion. So sure. I enjoy when they indulge in the rated R aspects of their films, because that's definitely, you're not going to get that from Marvel, um, it, you know, who's making higher quality movies overall, maybe, but they don't have that. So use it. Still Disney. Exactly. Um, I also, like you mentioned in your pros, like the, the title cards, the physically represented title cards that are like in the world. That's very cool. I like that as a stylistic choice. I love the fast zooms that were all over the place. Overall, the cinematography was ambitious, and I love to see that in a movie. There's a lot of unorthodox, slow motion, flashy cinematography that just made this movie really fun to look at. It was self-indulgent in a stylish way with gratuitous use of beautiful lighting and epic team-up slow-mo walks toward the camera. There Multiple was, of those. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? It's like, it was gratuitous, right? But I, it, <laughs> yes. was, it, it was in a way that I really enjoyed. I thought it was done effectively. Plus, we got to witness gallons of blood and gore in glorious high definition. I, and just visually, <laughs> this movie comes across as really appealing to me. And James Gunn does a great job of incorporating music into his films, and th- this is certainly no exception. The soundtrack regularly became part of the real world, being played out of car radios or other real-world sound players. Harley Quinn is singing a song while she's being tortured, and then she goes on a rampage while that song is playing. Yes, I love that. That was really cool. The- I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but it's, it's really obvious, especially with the subtitles, because they have the, the same... Because she's not singing it in the same cadence necessarily as the song goes but it's definitely the same lyrics and after you hear it like oh that's what she did it sort of like supports like it's like or on harley's side here you know like she was singing the song and now the movie is like showing hey she's really cool and uh here's how cool she is it's cool it's a it's a really neat uh transition for sure yeah and i love when they they do a good job of choosing those songs too because every every like it just comes across so strongly. They even had that song at the beginning that says literally, all these people are dead. Like that's like the <laughs> the refrain in the song while they're showing all the dead characters from the first squad. It all just yeah, yeah. really works well together. Um, and, this, and the music in this movie is fantastic. What's interesting is like the original Suicide Squad had a lot of pop songs like incorporated in it. A lot of stuff that was popular at the time was it was put in there and it was almost like it somebody was just 
switching the radio where it was like <laughs> it was playing a song and then immediately we switched to another one and it was like that was supposed to more expertly fit you into the mood but i think i guess I've, I've heard this written before i think this was something that christopher nolan might have said is that you want to write a scene that is can be supported without music right the music just helps elite like uh build it up and i think james gunn does a pretty good job of that a lot the music plays a big role in the movie and definitely plays a big role in how you feel about the characters and about each scene but if you didn't have the music you would still have a lot of powerful moments in this movie totally agree okay so i think this movie does a lot of stuff really well i believe it succeeds in its mission to be a subversive r-rated fun comic book movie and i think its characters are handled really really carefully and that's a huge pro for this movie character development is really beautifully balanced i think no one is really left out everyone gets several special moments and the movie lingers with our heroes letting them express themselves and interact this is something that james gunn also does really well in the guardians of the galaxy movies um and they aren't really cu cookie cutter characters either king shark rat catcher and polka dot man are very different characters than anything we've ever seen on the screen before margot robbie's uh, harley quinn is already well established in the dc universe but she still gets her moments without completely overshadowing the others and peacekeeper and bloodsport are probably the most quote unquote traditional characters but their value systems and their rivalry make them stand out as well and even the smaller roles like with amanda waller's staff there's a lot of character and humanity present um it, you know it's not just extras necessarily there are certainly lots of extras but every person that has a speaking role you get a little bit of a, a glimpse into who they are it's not just like how do we get from point a to point b um and i think that's uh that says a lot about the priorities that james gunn puts in this movie yeah i think the characters are one of the most interesting thing about this film and it's Really cool to see when an ensemble cast can come together like that and really be balanced well. When you look at the, I guess, I don't know if it shows it on the app, but on the web version of HBO Max, it has this really cool poster of all the characters laying dead in like kind of a pile, including yeah. some of the ones from the original squad that dies at the beginning and then the other squad. And it's just looking at them visually, you can kind of, you get to know them so well through this movie, that pile up looks so different after you see the film, um, mm. which I, I think that, you know, while I don't think any of the characters are particularly deep, they all had that little backstory and their little quirks that make them interesting as a group. And I kind of want to go around to each one and talk about them. So Bloodsport, right? Hey, he's kind of our pseudo main character. If you had to pick a protagonist, a main protagonist would be Bloodsport. And his, follow him through the most movie. Right. Just Elba, of course. And we're supposed to sympathize with him the most, I think, as far as like what his goals are. And his goals are becoming a leader, which is something that Waller kind of puts on him. And then also improving his relationship with his daughter. But to start off the story, he's not even really that bad of a guy. He's an absent father, sure, but that's not necessarily something you end up in maximum security prison for. They say he put Superman in the ICU by hitting him with a kryptonite bullet, but like, which version of Superman? <laughs> if you do that to Superman when he's being evil, you're the goodest good guy possible. Doesn't, like this, I mean, it's implied that he did it to the good guy. Yeah, Superman. you know, well, yeah, I think the implication, and this is clear throughout the kind of one of the motifs in this movie, is that Superman is a symbol of America. And so doing any sort of harm against Superman is like makes you a terrorist, makes you like right, you're, you're, of course, or tre treasonous, you might say. So, right. 
But having him start off as this kind of morally ambiguous, at worst, character doesn't really give him much room to grow because he already seems good to begin the movie, and he doesn't really change by choosing to do good later on. He's basically just good all around. Maybe this says more about Waller's Suicide Squad program than it does about Bloodsport, but I feel like there's at least some opportunity cost being paid here since we could have had a true villain that grows and becomes good as a result of circumstances and, you know, being a dynamic character, right? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, Without having that, yeah, because I don't think any of these characters are really that evil, necessarily. Not even the shark who eats people, (laughs) you know, like... And and he in Bloodsport, you know, he's really kind of the uh, the epitome of that. You know, he's reluctantly involved in this situation, right? You do see him kill a bunch of people, but he sort of feels bad about killing people. Um, and he makes connections with other the other characters, right? He doesn't again. He doesn't really want to be there, but he's not really, um, you know, he's not, he's not putting that like making this an opportunity for him to kill people, right? He's like, I have to do this because otherwise my daughter could be in trouble, and that makes you know, and I feel guilty about that, about the way that she interacts with the world and everything. Well, yeah, and so, he yeah, has think, to be there because otherwise his daughter is essentially going to die. Like the Waller pro- threatened yeah. him with that. Yes. So the, I mean, again, I think you said earlier, like this being an ensemble cast, having everything, uh, you know, being able to show all these characters is such an uh, interesting feat to to accomplish, and I think if you put, make any of these characters too complicated, then it becomes it detract. It's going to detract from the other things you're trying to do in this movie, um, and at least from the other characters. So I understand like making that decision and like okay, he's already good, but it I don't know. Like I think it kind of takes away from this idea of Suicide Squad in a way because um, you never get the feeling that you should be conflicted about who you should care about, right? A right, Waller is right. Waller is clearly the villain. She's coded as the villain, right? Even though, and like someone who runs a prison, I think for a lot of people today would say they're villains in real life. You know, I, I think that the um, it, it's like our relationship with what we think a criminal is has kind of influenced what uh, what is possible. I think for a Suicide Squad, necessarily, like if you if you really think about it, yeah. Yeah, and and you're right. It, you don't have to spend the entire movie like developing this character, but I think there were like they were going to give him the best chance of being that deep character as a, kind of our our main character. And either way, like he does have this arc where he has to improve the way like he wants to look like more of a good guy in the eyes of his daughter. And thank goodness for another DCEU jail phone call conversation between an incarcerated parent and their child where they can just (laughs) exposition dump their entire relationship. I felt like I totally understood what was going on between them after a brief exchange. And I'm learning that that's a really useful mode of communication in DC movies. (laughs) It's, uh, and, and you know, like, Bloodsport does end up succeeding in improving how his daughter views him by the end of the film, but he does this indirectly by somehow being on TV during the heroic climax of the film, which I guess is pretty cool for his daughter since it clearly improves her opinion of him, but she doesn't actually know the the full extent of what he did or the decisions he made. He gets some positive news spin, so I guess that's nice. (laughs) 
but it just seemed majorly convenient. I like Bloodsport, yeah. but I think he's a good example of how the characters in this film only go so deep. I think that's a great point. Um, I think the thing with the daughter at the end was really just kind of like a feel-good, like, ah, oh, here it is. Because he even kind of expresses to her in that conversation over the, like, in prison that he doesn't really want to be involved with her at all. And so him doing this thing is sort of a way of him, like, kind of keeping her at a distance in a way, right? Um, maybe at some point he would reveal this to her, but it didn't seem like it was important to him that she even knew that he had done this for her, right? So I, I, um, I think his arc as becoming, like, a leader and, you know, kind of accepting the other people in his in the squad as his like brothers and sisters, you might say as his family um, is a more tangible arc than whatever is going on with his daughter. Yeah, no, I agree. And he does succeed in becoming a leader. There's like, he's barking out orders in the, the final battle. Yeah, no, that was cool. Uh, it was very clearly stated, I think. And that, that I like that. So let's move on to Cleo, AKA rat catcher two. And she was the nice and positive moral influence for the group. She's definitely evidence that some of the people involved in Suicide Squad aren't actually bad at all. Her origin story is sad and humble. She's basically a bum with her genius dad. And then when he died, she took his rat technology to America. <laughs> it was technology, right? Like it wasn't rat technology. <laughs> it wasn't magic. It was I got new I got new technology. It was made by rats. It's um it's like a PlayStation mobile move, move. yeah, but for rats. <laughs> so they're just interesting, you know. Uh, like you said, we haven't seen a character like this uh in a, one of these superhero movies. No, no, it's it's not just like the rat thing, which I think plays into like a bigger bigger theme of this movie it's it's the like kind of swarm controlling power you know i feel like that's something that you see occasionally um in tv shows and stuff but not something that you ever hear see from a like a main character uh like this her arc is completed when she uses that rat power to destroy the starfish which is probably the greatest thing she's ever done with that power and she knows she made her father proud she has this quote uh, from her father uh, that she says. Rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. They have purpose. So do we all. So this is kind of a magic moment and really makes her power seem a lot more charming and it happens at a, a climactic <laughs> That's disgusting. Moment. Yeah. Because <laughs> when he said that, he's like, rats are the lowest and most despised of all creatures. I was like, pretty sure I hate cockroaches more. But then I was like, wait a minute. No, I don't. I just hate cockroaches because I've had to deal with them. Rats would be so much worse. <laughs> so um, I think that it, he, yeah, that, that tracks the statement about the rats tracks. Um, and, and it was just a really cool climactic moment where we really got to see her powers utilized because otherwise they weren't really throughout the movie she kind of was just there yeah well that, that's true i think there's a couple of moments where the rats show up i mean she protects herself from uh shark boy uh with with the rats right too. right um yeah this that that quote uh the rats have purpose thing is definitely 
what uh the, the thesis statement of this movie as uh eli from from ah. bracket bros would say uh this was very clearly standing out to me was like oh this is what the movie's about i see <laughs> uh, the suicide squad you see are rats and they have a purpose which is to you know come in and destroy giant starfish creatures it makes perfect sense now yes uh, the whole, the it whole all thing stems from this one line very good yes and um well it goes beyond just her relationship with her father because her connection with Dubois or Bloodsport, as we've been calling him so far, is this father-child relationship, which I thought was interesting, kind of unconventional. She, not that that's an unconventional relationship, but for her to share that kind of bond with Bloodsport, I thought was unconventional. She wished to give him that same love that she felt for her own father, but in the end, she helped him to give that to his own daughter to blood sports daughter or at least a chance to begin it right and i think that the i think that like i said earlier the payoff could have been well better executed if blood sport and his daughter actually spoke to each other again in this movie (laughs) but overall i thought the relationship between cleo and blood sport was ambitious and heartfelt i think that the what this movie is trying to do and i don't think it succeeds at very well but i think it does okay with these two characters is showing how these two these characters are broken but compatible right and that they can they kind of fill a need that the other one has um and i that that works really well between these two i think without being weird you know yeah totally Uh, i think that they they pull that off nicely and even though it's kind of surprising when you see uh, Dubois like crying in the bus after having that conversation with him. You like looking back at it, you're like over that conversation, you realize that they kind of did go there. They really did like bear each other, like their souls to each other in that moment. Yeah. And then you see their relationship immediately is better where yeah. he says, I'm going to get you out of here. And she goes, I'm going to get you out of here. I, I like <laughs> right. that a lot. So let's move on to Peacemaker. And oh my gosh, I love Peacemaker. <laughs> no, he's the, my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> he's so freaking America. Like he's a twisted take on Captain America. Uh, like you don't have to say that. Like he can also just be a twisted take on American commandos in general. Um, He's ruthless, he's powerful, and he's willing to do anything to, quote, keep the peace. (laughs) Nothing like a bloodbath to start the day. They call you peacemaker. I cherish peace with all my heart. I don't care how many men, women, and children I need to kill to get it. (laughs) No, he's so freaking amazing. And uh, I think that uh, I really like the twist that we have with him at the end of the movie, which I think is um, sort of telegraphed. Uh, pretty well and there's this this other quote that happens i think right before that quote we just played um that i think kind of gives you a little bit more of a hint about what's going on with him you know what i think i think liberty is just your excuse to do whatever you want if it has to eat a beach full of dicks or killing folk oh yeah at least i don't kill men for money like you oh here we go I think that there's probably there's an interesting conversation that we could we could have about who is in the moral right here about the mercenary or the person who has a value system, right? Even if that value system is really fucked up. Um, so <laughs> I wonder what the um, no, I, I I really like that this line, and I think about this. I've been thinking about this ever since I heard it, and it's something that I kind of believed already about other people is that people just use 
like uh, a value system, a stated goal as an excuse to do whatever they want. Because you can just, uh, you know, liberty or peace or whatever can mean anything, right? It's such a broad term. And the keeping the peace can literally mean, oh, I should kill people. That's what, it, that's what that means. You know, I, I think that you, um, you can distill, I think people can distill any meaning from almost anything else. And I think he's a great example of that. Um, and it is really clear that he would just do whatever he wanted anytime he he wanted to do it yeah there's never a moment where he's like ah you know i feel conflicted like should i do this or should i you know or should i follow my moral compass no no, no. it's very clear that he's doing exactly what he thinks he should do and that whatever he does is keeping peace right it's not that he does what keeps the peace it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, and it just, it all works well, so well together. His name being Peacemaker, Peace being so antithetical to everything that he does. It's, it's fantastic. And his betrayal is a, like, I, it is definitely clearly telegraphed, but also it's a fun subversion. You know, it's something you didn't quite expect that adds a lot of drama uh, near the climax of the film. I mean, when he... He proves his belief system, essentially, to all of us when he's willing to kill Flag, which, how cool is that, like, zoom in on the heart when he <laughs> oh stabs him God. with the tile? Yeah, and I'm like, I was just like, that almost, I mean, it took me out of the movie for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is so violent. <laughs> <laughs> like, really not letting that, like, let, letting you, like, get away with anything. It's not just he's stabbing the chest. It's like, oh, we're going to go see what happens to Flag's heart, you know? <laughs> I let's love animate it. let's animate this whole moment yeah i love that whole fight too because first off when you like i said earlier they established that anyone can die in this movie at any point so it felt oh, like yeah. the stakes were super high you felt like either one of them could die and you know funny enough they both do end up dying pretty soon after that uh, or dying quote unquote but I also liked the way they were fighting because it felt very WWE wrestling match style <laughs> where they're like the real drama is the competing moral values going. Ah, head that's here really funny. While they're like <laughs> knocking each other over and like swinging a crowbar and like swinging like a piece of the building. That's Tile, apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was. I felt like this was perfect to bring John Cena in for this. And overall, I really enjoyed john cena in this role I, I mean i've watched some wrestling with john cena but i haven't seen him do much acting and i thought he did really really well his stupid lines where he was clearly being kind of like a dunce and saying stupid things hilarious very well delivered <laughs> and overall I, I felt like he just did well in front of the camera and i hope no, to see a, him in more stuff he's a great actor i've seen um he really stood out to me in Psych. he plays uh one of the character's brothers in like a, like i think maybe maybe it's two episodes at least one of the episodes and he's awesome it's not just like it's funny seeing him in the movie because he kind of doesn't look like anybody else um but he's also <laughs> like <laughs> he's he's like he's a great charismatic actor um and he plays like a supporting role like this really really well he was uh, in, that, uh... that very first moment you see him when he's like just standing there in the doorway and he looks like <laughs> he looks like he's like you know 
uh, super soldiers like come out of the steam room or something. You know, he just like shows up. He's like, he's like, I am the Terminator kind of thing. Yeah, it's I, so I recently, funny. I recently rewatched Small Soldiers, and he was like Major Chip Hazard, just exactly. like, ready to bust out of the box. Yeah, I actually <laughs> saw him on SNL hosting SNL like a couple years back, and he was fantastic, which made sense since it was live theater, which is his specialty. And yeah. uh, all of this to say, I'm really this this probably if anything, if I got anything out of this movie, it's that I'll probably watch the peacemaker spin-off series that's coming in uh january of 2022 so yes. i might have to hold on to that hbo mid subscription a little bit longer he is uh he was my, my favorite parts of the movie and so i if anyone's gonna get a spin-off then I, i'm happy it's him me too so let's move on to shark king for me shark king is relatively undeveloped especially compared to some of these other characters he's kind of an overpowered hulk type character where everything kind of bounces off of him and he's stupid right he's comic (laughs) relief in a lot of situations and his arc is that he learns to make friends i guess you know i I thought he was funny he didn't really bring more than that but maybe he didn't have to you know when you have an ensemble cast like you said you can only go so deep in each character and maybe the real estate he didn't take up allowed for us to enjoy Ratcatcher 2 and uh, blood sport and peacemaker a little bit more <laughs> sure i think he wasn't able to contribute to a lot of the like more deep conversations because he wasn't really like mentally i guess uh, available for that um he is like very simple um but you kind of you still get a sense of that he's sort of a tragic character not just that he doesn't have any friends but like that he's left out you know he's stuck in the he's stuck in the bus waiting oh, for yeah. while everyone else is having a good time you know <laughs> he he's like uh and then like that moment where he's like trying to make friends with those fish things and then they turn it turn on him right uh, yeah, that was really creepy to me too but like it's it's sad it, it's it's sad seeing him like trying and then failing you know and then and ultimately he does learn i feel like he definitely like finds his kind of place in the squad um and yeah, so I'm, as much as like he is a simple character, I think he, like he has an arc. He's developed well. He ha- is more than just like he's funny. He's like he has a little bit of like melancholy to him too. Okay, I can appreciate. I think I, I wasn't seeing that as well, but I can definitely appreciate that. That scene where he's on the bus by himself was really, uh, really. It was kind of <laughs> <It's> sad. sad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all right, let's move on to Harley Quinn. Which, uh, the fact that we're only just getting to her, I think, reinforces what you said earlier about her not overshadowing anybody, but she does get plenty of opportunities to dominate the spotlight, and she's so much fun to watch. She's a brutal killer with a heart of gold, and she's also a little bit kooky, okay? And I like <laughs> Very <that>. kooky. <laughs> <laughs> she's the quintessential member of the Suicide Squad. Like, she kind of has that mixture of what you're looking for for a potential member uh you know obviously bad but also obviously good and finding out why she was worthy of the javelin was a hilarious non-arc arc <laughs> yes <laughs> she's not actually doing anything but it's just being proven as she goes along with the story and i i like, J- javelin is so right when he said that she was worthy of wielding his javelin uh, yeah it wasn't that she was the only person there <laughs> right 
<laughs> so, um, you know, she has some of the coolest parts of this movie from the love scene with Luna, uh, where th- like they go way overboard with some of like the lovey dovey stuff. Oh my effects. god, breaking everything, the health roof oh, set on fire. Yes. <laughs> and then, um, you know, the flowers and birds rampage, which we talked about earlier with the, the music that she was singing beforehand. Have you seen Birds of Prey? Yes. What? I like Birds of Prey a lot. I have not seen Birds of Prey. Was this a reference? This I think Birds of Prey might be the last movie I saw in theaters. Oh, um, wow. uh, it is. It might be. So because there the, were little birdies flying around, inexplicable. Right. I think that I. I think that was just like a, a like a kind of a weird stylish choice. Okay. Uh, Birds of Prey didn't have that same. It had sort of that same thing in like the marketing, but it wasn't present throughout the whole movie. Um. It had a lot of like, there was a lot of action scenes that were just straight action scenes. It didn't have like a lot of flair to them beyond like their interesting setting and characters. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, that, that whole thing is, is really cool. I really like the way that when she picks up this javelin or she looks at the javelin and it starts to glow like it's in a video game. <laughs> it was. And then she starts using it and it looks awesome. And then when uh, the really nice touch is when she exits the building. She opens the door and you can still see all the birds and stuff like flapping around in the background before she closes it. Kind of like officially transitioning us into the next scene. That was cool. It was. And again, it's an example of that gratuitous kind of over editing that they do in this movie, which I love. You know, it, it's totally consistent and it's it's just amazing. Harley Quinn was a spectacle to behold in this movie. And uh, I think that's great for her. So let's move on to Polka Dot Man. And Polka Dot Man fits the randomness of this movie. <laughs> Although he is kind of a one-trick pony. Like, his whole thing is that he hates and is obsessed with his mom, which led to a hilarious recurring gag where yes. everyone in the scene is replaced with his mother in different poses and clothing. <laughs> and that was, I died. That was so funny. And uh, I thought the part where he blasts through his mom's ankle was re- done really well. Like you could see all the cartilage and bone oh, there yeah. getting shredded, I, I, and they let you see it. I thought that was really cool. But I also felt like I saw his death coming, like moments before it happened. Not like I was like, I project that in the third act the polka dot man <laughs> will die. You know, not. But like it seemed like by having him do that and be like, oh, I'm a superhero. I'm a superhero. I was like, okay, he's obviously about to die. And kind no, it's so funny. Way. It's like. Okay, your arc is done. Let's get rid of you, right? Like, <laughs> your utility to the plot has completely been fulfilled. So we're done. We're done here, you know? <laughs> yes, which does also serve to keep everybody's mortality yeah. in the picture. So that's sure. sure. That's, that's fine. Honestly, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but overall, I like Polka Dot Man. Like you said, he was unconventional and he was just something we haven't seen before. I think they needed to kill him in that moment also because he was really OP. Like for being like a guy who True. shoots Polka he Dots out. He could have aimed a little higher and then probably taken Star out completely. Right. And it would have so. been a lot less thematically satisfying so it's true (laughs) something that um red letter media talks about uh, in their review of this movie is how polka dot man is he's like a funny character at first but then he sort of has this kind of tragedy built into him um and i i definitely see like i can definitely see that from him where at first he's like oh like he's you know le random random. guy (laughs) who who shoots tiddlywinks out of his out of his arms or whatever right but he's um but like it has a kind of deeper 
thing to it. It's not just that he does that, right? He's sort of like messed up in the head and he can't function normally. And he has a lot of different things that are wrong with him where he has to drain the polka dots twice a day or else they like consume him and stuff. So at first it seems like, oh, he's, he's just kind of a silly person. But then like you add in this extra context to him and it makes him more sympathetic and it makes him into a real character. Um, and I think that's something that James Gunn does really, really well. And I think that this movie overall does a really good job of. of it takes these characters that are kind of silly, kind of uh, goofy, and gives them like a, a, a relatability to them, a humanity to them. So I think the characters are, are great, but I feel like the story lacks uh, that same depth to it. And uh, I feel like the story is extremely simple. The, they land on the beach. They got to go to the place. First, they got to get the guy. Um, they get inside and oh no it's what they expected what are they gonna do now um i don't think a simple story is that's the, that's that's my yeah that, that's, yeah, my, that's what my i was synopsis. saying well i was why i was yelling that by myself in my room watching this <laughs> oh no what are they gonna do now um i don't think the sim- a simple story is a bad thing i just, i actually think sacrificing complicated story beats in favor of meaningful character moments is the right call and suicide squad does that what is missing here is a connection between the story being told in our heroes. And here's an example of what I mean. Nobody on the Suicide Squad is from Corto Maltese. Everyone has the same motivation for being there. And I guess it's pretty compelling, but it's also not so terrifying of a prospect that it's even something that everyone's constantly worrying about, right? It's not like they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get blown up today. Oh, I'm going to get blown up. Oh, like, if I do this, am I going to get blown up? That's not really something that happens, you know? And for most of them, it's more like they're just there because it's more interesting than sitting in a cell, which really isn't that interesting to me, you know? There are two scenes that stand out to me that are really excellent and really make me feel something. Um, but they really kind of are the exception. We've kind of gone over them, but I'm going to go over some more detail. The first is when Holly Quinn meets the new president of Corto Maltese, and he proposes to her, and then they have, uh, you know, violent sex, and then uh, he's talking to her about the about Jotunheim and his plan for um, the city and uh, in, in the country. Well, it must be a big relief to got it in your hands now, huh? Absolutely. Now is our enemies who shall be fearful. If anyone dares to say a negative word about their new presidente, they, their parents, their children, and anyone they ever loved will be sent to Jotunheim to feed the beast. I'm sorry. Recently, I made a promise to myself that the next time I got a boyfriend, I'd be on the lookout for red flags. And if I saw any, I would do the healthy thing. And I would murder him. And killing kids... kind of a red flag. I love this. It's, I'm not even that big of a Harley Quinn fan, but Margot Robbie is so charming, and she disappears into this role. Robbie has really made me see what others have always claimed to see in Harley. Um, she's made that really clear to me. Um, the, this moment stands out because it's a character doing something counterintuitive, but that makes sense. And it does service to the growth that Harley Quinn has gone through in her previous movies. It's not just funny and shocking, it solidifies Harley. Her biggest weakness is the powerful men in her life. And for her to recognize that and act on it in a way only she can by doing the healthy thing, which is murdering someone, makes her and the rest of the movie better. Um, yeah. It, yeah. I, I love this moment. No. And it's, 
yeah, yeah like i mean partial part of that is also staying far away and, and completely excluding the jared leto joker i think that is also a credit to this movie as <laughs> yes well. definitely not even tempting that's something that <laughs> justice league wasn't able to do <laughs> yeah i um i again like this is such a interesting moment and like it doesn't do hardly any favors right all it does is shows how consistently written she is you know it's the smart thing for her to do would be to not murder the president but she does it anyway <laughs> <laughs> so the second moment is when rick flag learns the truth about project starfish um and he and, and peacekeeper go to uh, go head to head so, and this is it sons of bitches gonna be held to town i can't let you do that crime excuse me i'm truly sorry miss waller charged me with making sure those records don't leave this building of course i should have known Waller's always got a backup. Come on, man. This isn't personal. Holding a gun on me is pretty fucking personal. They experimented on children. No one is saying what they did was right. They experimented on children! That information gets out and causes an international incident. Keeping the peace is worth any price. Including the life of a hero like yours, sir. So please, don't make me do this. In this, you can see the conflict between two strong, previously aligned characters. Flag is probably the least developed in this film, but he's also the least interesting. Peacekeeper, on the other hand, shows his true colors, revealing that th what was kind of hinted at from the beginning, which is, again, what makes it a good twist, is that you can see it coming looking back uh, throughout the film. What is cool is seeing these men fight with real stakes, like you said earlier. Flag knows that Peacekeeper will kill him given the chance, which means that Flag has to fight for his life and, pro and possibly kill his ally in return. There's weight to this, and when Flag dies, it actually matters. I mean, I certainly felt it, you know? Um, I felt like I was like, oh, Rick Flag, he's the best character in here. I mean, I do like Joel Kinnaman. I think he's a very attractive man. But I don't <laughs> think that um, I wasn't like, oh, he's my favorite character in this. I, I, I like Peacekeeper more. But I was sad when Flag died. I was like, oh, man, evil wins again. Um, this, this is the moment that the story leads to. But up to this point, their actions and decisions were made by someone else and with little input from the main characters. This moral dilemma stands out from the rest of the story because it honestly feels feels like it could go in any direction and it's up to our heroes to decide how it goes and to me it's satisfying because those characters make sense and their actions follow what i already know about them and the rest of the story doesn't feel like this everything else is okay we gotta do this okay we should do this okay how do we do this it's not why should we do this or even i think we should do it differently than you or if we don't do this then this bad thing will happen to me you know yeah no i think that's i think that's poignant um, especially I think going back to blood sport, like even the decision to like stay and do good is barely supported by anything else that they've done so far. Like that was the first time they're like, okay, we're going to deny the orders, but they never showed any sort of resistance to the orders to begin with. So it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, like you understand because of how the suicide squad works the weight of that decision about turning around right but it's not clear that the characters understand that weight because that that mo that thing is is not a, it's a narrative device but it's not present throughout the rest of the story a lot of the time waller's not even there you know she i i mean if you hadn't seen the first suicide squad or if you weren't familiar with the concept i would expect you to be like who is this woman you know right. what what is she doing you know she's not really established well enough for you to to uh, really appreciate this kind of 
like her motivation or her the, how evil she truly is you know um she's sort of a caricature no yeah, i agree and speaking of the villains in this movie i want to talk a little bit about starro the conqueror and you know i got to give credit to this movie for you know again leaning into the the hard r <laughs> by <laughs> really showing us some disgusting experiments that they did on the humans like there's people who were like cut in half and the thing removed from their face you see all like, oh the my god that was burned flesh. in my skull i really hated that yeah <laughs> that was nasty but i have some criticisms for the way that starro once you they revealed starro the things that happened so first of all how did not it not face hug them or at least more some of them because first rat catcher puts on a mask right mm-hmm. which side note masks work confirmed Masks work. That's right. <laughs> Suicide Squad proved that masks work uh, <laughs> because uh, Ratcatcher puts on a mask, but then nobody else did. I mean, Shark King doesn't have the right face, so there, that checks out. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, if Starro's whole thing is that he can like uh, simulate different races, <laughs> you know, he goes yeah. to a shark planet and there, there, there's nothing he can do. He's useless <laughs> there. Only humanoids. Right, right. Well, I think... Uh, no, I'm thinking of Marvel. I was about to be like, well, Marvel shows us that like basically everyone's shaped like humans everywhere. That's true. I was but, just thinking that. But, but yeah, not you're DC. Right. They don't have, I mean, the aliens yeah, what about in Steppenwolf? Justice Steppenwolf League. Steppenwolf would never, you know, Steppenwolf doesn't have a face. Exactly, be, yeah. Uh, like able to get a starfish on. I mean, that's why Starro had to come to Earth. But, but anyways, just using the rules that are applied here, what about... You know, the other characters here. Nobody else puts on a mask or really does anything to avoid well, well, long-term uh, protecting their face from the starfish. Well, uh, the boy, the boy, you know, he shoots him out of the sky, which For makes sense For a little sense while, yeah. But he's not constantly putting him out. I think they're, they're sort of like, you know, viruses or spores or something. They, don't, they can't live without a host, you know? So they, like, as soon as, like, they don't attach to anything, they sort of die. That's, that's kind of the uh, impression I got. Okay, fair enough, but it seemed pretty convenient that literally every other human was getting domed. And that's true, especially since Pokemon Man just covered it, literally put his hand over his head. Yeah, you know, he just like knelt down. It's like nobody else saw that and was like, "Hey, I should do that." You know, yeah. everyone else was just standing there. Oh no, with their mouths open. You know, like oh, 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 oh. starfish coming to my mouth. Get me. <laughs> <laughs> but okay fine like they avoid that um but then also why didn't the starfish just kill them right there it like wipes out a bunch of the i mean it, it, it face hugs a bunch of the other people but then it marches on the city past them and then starts causing destruction like did the starfish know that their mission was complete and that they were going home why didn't it take them on right there i thought that was bizarre i mean it gives us uh, the the moral conflict of them deciding to go back but like okay <laughs> and then also, the catastrophic nature of the starfish was way overhyped. It was supposed to be able to take down nations, and it got killed by rats. I mean, there was definitely magic rats that like yeah, yeah. Into just aim for the giant eye in the center. Yeah, you know? it just it seemed inconsistent to be able to shoot at it and not and not do anything. I was like, okay, it's impervious. Good. What are we gonna do to dis? To, to, that makes sense. It can be impervious. And then you can literally jump inside its eyeball. <laughs> okay, so I don't know. <laughs> 
it's not the type of thing that I relish thinking deeply on, and maybe it's not what you're supposed to do. But I liked the idea of Star of the Conqueror up until the actual fight with Star of the Conqueror. Then I right, was like, the actual okay. takedown of him, what, like, was that consistent with how long he's been alive, essentially? Right. How he's able to survive in space. Yeah, I think, but honestly, like, I appreciate the way that Cleo defeats Star of the Conqueror, but... Ultimately, I felt that they left some cool points on the table by not making him actually more powerful. But anyways, that's that's more of a nitpick. Um, I also... There's another one I, I want to know your opinion on, actually, because I thought that it was a hilarious subversion to have Bloodsport and... Well, honestly, it was all of them going through and killing all those soldiers in the camp while we yes. thought they were enemies, but then they're revealed to have been the rebellion or, like, you know, the, the rebels against yes. them. That was shocking. That was funny. But I felt like Soul Soria, who was kind of like the leader of the rebellion, took their side way too easily after that. <laughs> well, she does say this. Moon and Swad has murdered my entire family. I'd make a deal with the devil to stop them. So, you know. Uh, get out of jail free card there. <laughs> I just think. They- it's a lot. It, they address it. They address it. They- you know. Barely. Okay. Okay. My, I feel like that was enough, honestly. Really? It I, wasn't all of her people, you know? It wasn't the entire... It was just one regiment or something, you know? I guess. I just wish it that wasn't they like she, had done a little bit more of the convincing of her to work with them instead of them just being like, oopsie, and she's like, oh, you guys, uh, <laughs> and then I'll work with you, you know? But I, I don't think, know. This I is don't what know. I'm talking Again, about this... when I think the unserious tone goes sometimes sure. goes a little beyond where I like it because I'm just like, they just brutally murdered a lot of your people for no reason. At least put up like some resistance to that. I feel like it was, it's sort of like a, she's so desperate, right? Like I will do anything here. And like, it's kind of one of those things where these sort of things happen actually with like super powered individuals out there. Like sometimes you're, everyone gets murdered, right? And that's just something you have to accept. And if you actually want what you want to get and you have to, you have to work with some unsavory characters. And sometimes that means they kill everyone, <laughs> you know, in I don't hilarious know, like, ways and in, in stylish ways. ways. <laughs> yeah. I like I it overall. I, this, I just, I this was know. fine with me. I feel yeah. like they addressed it enough, you know, and it made it like clear. It's like, these guys are like, they're the devil, you know, you know? <laughs> yeah. The devil you're willing to make a deal with. I have one last criticism, and I think we should move on. Why was he called the thinker? I never felt like he proved how he was smart. <laughs> he just had those things in his head. Spark plugs in his head. And he's like, I'm the thinker. It's like, okay, well, you don't seem that smart to me. The thinker is like an established DC villain. Um, he was in The Flash, uh, too. Although he looks completely different. Although he, just ha- he does have things in his head, but there aren't... He has like a chair that he sits in that mm. he's like plugged into. Doctor um, Thinker. Yeah, he is a doctor, but he goes by the Thinker. Uh, it, I, I don't know. What does he it, do? He teaches you like the the temptations and the evil of thinking deeply. <laughs> like, I guess <laughs> I, that kind of is the me- the message in the Flash. Is like they have this. They have one of the characters um, who's like a, a super genius who's on their side, and he something happens to him and he realizes that he's getting dumber and then he like is okay with it. He's like, yeah, 
I'm okay with like losing. I have seven PhDs, but like I am going to, I'm okay with losing all that knowledge because it's ultimately I'm going to be happier without it. Um, which I a hundred percent disagree with that take. But the, uh, I think the, the idea was like, oh, he's like, he's like, he thinks he's, he thinks he's uh, smarter than everyone. And so he's going to, um, like turn everyone into dummies so that he can like reprogram their brains or something like that. I hmm. think that was his plot. Um, yeah, just it was like all very cognitive based. Okay, so maybe a DC Stan would appreciate just his inclusion outright, but it didn't really seem like he was a super genius or did anything. I, I would almost, I think it would be an improvement if he even leaned into the whole thinker thing and he was like, hmm, I think. You know, I, like let th- me think on that. <laughs> <laughs> he like gets into the, like the thinker pose. <laughs> And the yeah. lights start going off, and he's he has, thinking. He has like a a, a a portrait of Tim Tebow in his office, like <laughs> doing the pose. <laughs> Is that the thinker pose? I always like to think that he was he wasn't praying; he was just thinking, thinking deeply. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, well, uh, I think that's enough thoughts from us in the overall section. Let's move on to our cool Easter egg, uh, Easter eggs, more than one, and True. I'll start with uh, pointing out that Captain Boomerang, who dies at the beginning of this movie, is the same Captain Boomerang from the original Suicide Squad 2016. Played by Jai Courtney. That's right. That's right. So it was... One of Hollywood's most hated actors. <laughs> oh, uh, should we get into that? or I don't know why exactly. I don't think there's a good reason. I think it's just people don't like his face. <laughs> <laughs> what a um, tragedy. <laughs> yes, so... Well, he... <laughs> Was another part of the because I had I knew nothing about this movie like I kind of forgot Idris Elba was even in it when I first started watching and seeing him again I was like this is clearly the Suicide Squad and it right. was not uh, I wasn't the one that we were going to be spending the most time with this movie another thing that it's kind of an Easter egg I guess is the egalitarian uh, troops for the opposing army there were. Pretty much just as many women as there were men in the uh, bad guy army that got slaughtered uh, throughout the, the this movie. And I'm saying, when you've got a shark man and you've got javelins that are magic, you can do whatever you want. You definitely have men and women play the soldiers. Why not? Yeah. You know? Don't, Why not? Indeed. Yeah. Don't try to like be like, oh, well, in the, this oh, a region of the world, they would never. Have. No. I don't care. Do whatever yeah. you want. Well, yeah, they're shark guys and yeah. weasels. <laughs> and weasels. Um, I I remember seeing something. I don't. This is a long time ago, but like how how easily it is how easy it is to like make a movie have that kind of egalitarian message or not even message, but just like representation. Yeah, and it's it's simply like you say there's a crowd of people equally like men and women equally distributed throughout the crowd. It's like a simple simple line and like. You can imagine, like, in the writing of this movie, something like that is put in there, and the ramifications that you end up with, uh, you know, kind of a unique-looking army. So, yeah, that's good. A unique army, and also, I don't have to feel as bad about being a man all the time, where it's like, of course, now all the guns Only are- the men all would this- fight off the Suicide Squad yeah. and defend, like, these criminals or, like, this, uh, you know, uh, authoritarian government. Yeah. Uh, off of South America, of course. Women can also be in the stupid goon army that gets That's mowed right. down by the good guys. That's <laughs> equality. Women can also be eaten by sharks. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so I just want to bring this up, but uh, this is a standalone sequel again, right? Um, uh, what was the last one we did that was a standalone sequel? Shoot. 
Um, it was, I don't remember. No, hold on. Was, <laughs> what are the movies Cer- done? Certainly you remember. Oh, Space James. Oh, Space, Space James, James. That's the right. King, yeah, yeah. The King James edition uh, <laughs> was a was a uh, standalone sequel as well. Technically, canonically, happens after the events of the first one, um, but you don't have to have seen the first one to really understand it. Uh, so, do you feel like your experience of this movie was like benefited greatly from seeing? the original 2016 Suicide Squad? Or do you feel like people could skip the original and go straight to this one? Big time skip. Oh, huge skip. Don't watch the original. It's totally fine, and you'll enjoy this more. Yeah. For sure. They do carry over some of the characters. I mean, Rick Flagg, Amanda Waller. I feel like Rick Flagg is better established in that movie. Amanda Waller as well. You kind of get a better understanding of of who she is, a a little bit at least. Um I just felt like that movie was a waste of time and this movie doesn't lean hard enough on it or really that much at all that it would just like the fake Suicide Squad at the beginning of this movie, I think is plenty to to get started on the concept and the whole program. I agree. Waller is definitely more sinister and interesting in the 2016 uh, movie, but that's not too much to sacrifice to not waste (laughs) your time. Um, Okay, so the next thing I have is that Corto Maltese is not a real place. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but it is a DC landmark. It actually appears in several different DC um, properties, including Batman The Dark Knight Returns, um, and uh, which is like a, a classic edition of, of Batman. Um, and it's also uh, named after a fictional adventurer created by Italian comic book writer Hugo Pratt. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of a, a reference to another uh, work of fiction. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just interesting that they're reusing locations like that. You know, so, um, uh, Marvel always uses real cities and real locations, uh, except for when it's going to space, obviously. Um, but, <laughs> it's, um, but DC always has fictional locations. Gotham, Metropolis... Um, and Corto Maltese uh, as well are all fictional places that take place in many different uh, DC properties. Star City, Star Labs is mentioned in here as well. That's a central city. Um, I definitely that's, did that's, feel like a DC insider being like, oh, your mother worked at Star Labs. I'm I see. familiar with the facilities. Uh, yes, I've taken a tour there many times. Yes. <laughs> I've been locked in. In the uh, in the prison that they have there, that they just keep you know random prisoners in instead of going to their superhuman prison that they send people to. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> um, th- I want. Can you read this for me? Uh, this is Spanish, right? I believe. Obstáculos son oportunidades. This is uh, what's written on Rick Flag's shirt. Um, he's wearing a yellow shirt with a rabbit that has wearing a cape on it. He's, and the rabbit's holding a sign that says this, which translates to obstacles are opportunities. Um, the, the rabbit also is wearing a shirt that says UB on it. I can't, like, my shirt deep dive ended here, so I can't <laughs> tell you what that means. But um, this shirt was actually designed by James Gunn. Um, and he, he confirmed that on Twitter. Somebody, he posted a picture of uh, uh, Joel Kinnaman it said Rick Flagg is in Suicide Squad, and somebody said, "Hey, I love that shirt. Where did that design come from?" And James Gunn said, "I I drew it." Um, so there you go, kind of an interesting little 
the thing, uh, direct involvement from the director again. That is cool. Uh, it, is a pre- it is a pretty cool shirt, too. It, I didn't notice it until I was getting the quotes uh, earlier today. It was. It really was prominently featured, and it reminds me of how funny their outfits were when they tried to dress normal, especially Peacemaker. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was a little bit too small. I yes. love that. Oh, it's perfect. Okay. You ready to move on to our quotable moments? Yes, I am. Okay, this is going along with a joke you made earlier. Uh, let me play it right now. Here's the deal. We fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. If you mismatch flex, you die. No. If you cough without covering your mouth. Harley, those last three aren't things. Although probably don't need to say this but that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth this is uh, <laughs> definitely like a post-covid joke for sure um but i no i thought this was good uh this this scene is pretty funny they're all like walking back and forth uh you know threatening greaves uh with what they're gonna do to him and then harley's trying to join in but her demands are very uh, like very random um and no i do like the the, the constant reminder that people who cough without covering their mouth are gross. And this endorsement from uh, Rick Flagg, I guess a thumbs up for me. So. Totally. Yeah. And that's true pre and post COVID. It's, I mean, it's certainly ever present on our mind now, but also yeah. the, this is not news. This is not, it's, it's not, it's not a recent development. Believe Probably it don't even have to say this. Really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. Okay, it's time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper. Okay, I want to start this off by playing another quote. You're a hero to me, as well as to my people. I think you might get me confused. Harley Quinn's fire and rebellion in the face of American oppression is something to which my entire country aspires. Oh. So this is uh, Luna meeting Harley for the first time, and he says, I admired you from afar, and that you are an inspiration to us, specifically because of your, I guess, your steadfastness in American aggression. So my question that I want to kind of explore is, is Harley Quinn anti-American? I kind of, I've, I uh, like uh, verge on the side of no, is that her rebellious nature and her like kind of uh like lack of respect for authority you might say makes her even more american right and uh, it's interesting that like the criticism of america has become such a mainstream thing and such like a popular topic for you know people today especially people talking about top politics that it's almost as if that has become part of american culture is like part of being american is low-key hating on america um wow. and talking about how you know america could be better the thing the things that we could do we could do better and how america like you know the joke is america is the worst country um uh, which is or and, and, which is a response to america is the best country which is kind of the thing that we've all kind of grew up believing or learning at least right right yeah i don't know i, I might have to look at harley quinn a little from further back because you know, I saw the original Suicide Squad, but that and this are basically it for me as far as who I know Harley Quinn to be. And I feel like I didn't get any anti-Americanness from 2016's Suicide Squad. So I thought it was interesting that that was so ever present in this movie, but I don't think it was necessarily uh, 
exacerbated by Harley Quinn. It felt like it was a convenient thing to apply to her so that Luna would be in, like involved with her. But not to say that he's wrong, but I also don't think that it's... I don't consider her to be some sort of anti-American, like anti-hero or something. Yeah, I think that's a good point. This is the only time at all that we ever get a hint that that's something that's going on, right? And, and um, she's not going to, you know, contradict him in that moment. Sure. Um, so it's like, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to, what to make of that, I guess. It's interesting, though. This movie definitely has a political bent to it. And I, I want to touch briefly on James Gunn's canceling. Um, because I feel like that's somewhat relevant to understanding this movie. So um, I'm sure a lot of people are aware James Gunn was, fi- was fired from Disney after some old tweets of his resurfaced. And uh, there's a lot of like pushback and I guess a lot of pressure from to Disney. And uh, Kevin Feige calls James Gunn to his office and says, I'm sorry, but I don't have, I don't have anything, there's nothing I can do. Uh, so you are no longer going to work on any of the Marvel movies that we have planned, which like, I don't know. It's, it's in hindsight, this was definitely the right call for Disney and for James Gunn because he's come back stronger than ever. He's, this movie is probably the most James Gunn movie he he's made in years. And, um, he had a whole superhero movie budget to play with and he used it effectively, you know? So like James Gunn is doing fine now, right? Whatever whatever repercussion he had from this initial like firing and canceling has completely been erased. Maybe he stagnated for a little while or something, but it's definitely come full circle. And he is slated to direct Guardians of the Galaxy three, um, which you know again convenient that that wasn't coming out anytime soon. You know there was a big gap between the last one, like his canceling and the new one, right? They were able, Marvel was able to afford that in their grand scheme. So again, like if this was a whole strategy game or something, looking back, Disney made the right call and did the right thing. But it's interesting the like the reason why James Gunn was canceled. I don't know if, if you're aware of this or not, but the the reason that it happened was because he was critical of Donald Trump and of Ben Shapiro and other conservative media figures. Uh, the it's Twitter is such a confusing place. You can't read a single tweet without because like it doesn't make any sense. This is what I'm discovering as, as I, I'm spending more time on Twitter. Is like a single tweet makes means nothing. It's it is barely grammatically correct, and yet it has it always comes with some added context that if you understand the joke, they can be really clever and funny, but. If you don't, it doesn't mean anything. So it's it's not even worth explaining what the tweets were or what exactly was said or even what happened. What what was kind of important to note is that after he was vocally critical and he has political opinions on Twitter, um, some of uh, these uh, uh, kind of you call them trolls, these uh, right wing provocateurs, specifically Mike Cernovich and Jack Posoziak. Pos- that's not his name, Jack Pozosbiak, um, who are known like you know disinformation authors, and like they they're the guy. Jack Pozosbiak is uh, behind Pizzagate. He was the re- reason that that blew up. Uh, Mike Cernovich uh, is the reason that uh, what's his name, Sam Cedar was fired from MSNBC, like as a contributor, like a decade ago and stuff. And these guys are known for you know making waves in in media and. 
they happened to align with the right wing and they wanted to take James Gunn down because a down a peg, at least because of the things he said on Twitter. And so they've went through his back catalog, found these like vulgar tweets that he made. And if you read those tweets, they're not, uh, I not good jokes. They're not good. Um, but and James Gunn is the first person to admit, uh, these were not, these are not things I would say today. And even when I made them, like, I'm cringing at this kind of thing, but you know, I'm not going to shy away from the responsibility of this. So, like, they they brought this up. Uh, it had the ramifications that they intended. And then, you know, now it's sort of all blown over. But it's interesting to note that, like, James Gunn's political beliefs played such a big role in his own career, like, recently. And was his outspokenness is sort of the reason he was canceled in the first place. And it's impossible to ignore that when you're watching a movie like this that was that has his fingerprints all over it, right? I think the most like uh, obvious metaphor for that is in this movie is uh, Jotunheim as Guantanamo Bay, right? Jotunheim is this giant structure that's off the co- off in this island nation, and no, it has these terrible American experiments going on in there it's it's funded and supported by the american government you know i think that it it can serve several metaphors for the americans involvement in uh central america especially and in south america and the amount of different coups that the cia is responsible for um but it's also like a reminder of kind of our like the different things that uh, the u.s has placed all over the world Guantanamo Bay is like a perfect example of that. It's like it's something that is literally out of sight, out of mind, right? It's off the coast of Cuba. It's in this kind of no man's land that is technically part of the U.S., but also technically part of Cuba. It's really difficult to understand. And that way they can say, oh, you know, we're not torturing people on American soil. You know, we're, that's happening elsewhere. It's a plausible deniability. And because Guantanamo Bay like is very secretive, not a lot of people are allowed to go there. There's a lot of different hoops you have to go through to to uh, to check it out as a journalist and stuff. There's, it it works. It works perfectly. You don't think about it very much, and therefore it's not in the news very much. And it, it's a feedback loop. You don't because nobody talks about it. It just sort of exists. And although like the situation has improved since it first opened in 2002. For example, there was 780 people in prison there. Now there's only 39. Um, the it's still like something that's happening and still something that is like our responsibility, despite all of the like media pre- like uh, attention it's gotten over the years and all of the international um, you know attention that it's gotten over the years. It's still there and it's still operational. So again, like I feel like as soon as the Graves went down to the basement and was like, "Hey, like you know, the Americans did this," I was like, immediately I went to, "This is like a Guantanamo Bay situation," and there's no way that James Gunn isn't making that connection himself as well when he's doing something like this. I think that this movie doesn't spend a lot of time kind of dwelling on that, and I think it does a good job of that. I like I said in my prose, it's a tasteful uh, bit of American imperialism, but it's just a reminder that like you know. <laughs> the kind of damage that the U.S. has done throughout history and throughout the world. And at this point, you know, it's almost like kind of the cool thing to say. It's almost like the, the, uh, the typical thing to say. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, 
we've done some screwed up stuff uh, all over the world and here's another example of it you know we'll we'll just uh, make up a new one for this movie because it's not that unbelievable actually it's actually uh, pretty normal well i guess it depends exactly who you're talking to because when that was going on i definitely felt like there were some people who would be like this is just liberal garbage that they're going out here and intentionally well, trying to make America look bad. I, I would agree with that because that's what James Gunn is known for <laughs> is his liberal garbage. But, but I would contest that they don't lean that hard into be, it being like necessarily political. It's more of just factual. It's like, yeah, this would actually make sense that America would be involved in some shit like this. And that works for our plot that gives our characters or at least you know the people making decisions the right motivations to do stuff here and i'm not all that surprised or offended that that's yeah. the case and i think this is sort of and this ties back to my harley quinn discussion too i think this is indicating some sort of shift it's not that um james gunn is responsible for it he's just tapping into it it's this shift from like America is the greatest country of all time to like reconciling the consequences of our actions. Um, and I, like I expect to see more and more of st stuff like this that is directly critical of the U S government, uh, and you know, our decisions abroad. I think that it's something that we see hinted at occasionally, but never truly directly. And it's something like, you know, die hard, for example, doesn't touch on that at all, right? It takes the opposite approach. And um, th this, this movie, I think, you know, is very much part, uh, part of its time. It's, and I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of self-aware, uh, like self-aware media that's going to be more direct about things that we all are thinking about, just not, you know, uh, we're thinking about more than we were before. Wow, you really did take us deeper there, Joey. Because I, Thank you. I didn't, I didn't really feel that way coming out of it, but I definitely agree. Um, and in looking in the bigger scope of just cinema, uh, to see that that idea kind of be recurring. I mean, you even have kind of like a hint at that at the very least in uh, the Captain America series, the Captain America and the Winter uh, Soldier. With I'm forgetting his name right now. It's something cheesy. It's like. U.S. agent, that's his name, and <laughs> he's the like you know they hint at his future being kind of this D.C. insider, kind of doing the dirty work for the American government. That and it doesn't have to be all shiny and clean like Captain America. Uh, and you know that's the villain and or a villain, and we're going to see that uh, moving forward. And again, it's kind of this idea of America representing the the bad guys. Yeah, it's it's but it's like it's interesting that it's coming from American sim cinema, right? Right. You know, this is this is going to be a weird ex like example, but it reminds me of the Rick and Morty fandom. The Rick and Morty fandom, one of their favorite like things to do is to hate on the Rick and Morty fandom. <laughs> they like uh, like there was this whole thing right when it first came out, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like the fans are crazy. They're they're acting like fools in public, right? But since then, the recurring narrative has been the fans are awful. The fans are awful. The, fan, the people who say that the most are fans <laughs> of the show, you know? So it's the same kind of thing where, like, America has become one of its biggest critics. Um, and uh, I don't know where that's going to lead, but it's certainly interesting. And I'm, I, honestly, I'm here for it, so...
Nice. Well, that's part of the reason why we love this movie. And I think that is going to complete our conversation on the Suicide Squad. As we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to the Suicide Squad? I give it five tentacles way up. Way up. Nice. (laughs) All five, in fact. That's right. So you're kind of laying prone if you're a starfish. Well, I give this movie 10 years off of its sentence for nice. a mission completed. Very uh, nice. I really did enjoy this. I'm glad that we watched it. Actually, I want to shout out my brother who reached out to me and was like, you have to see the new Suicide Squad. So shout out to Gabriel. Thanks for the recommendation. And uh, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are finally completing our Die Hard series with a good day to die hard um i don't intend to watch another die hard movie after this but who knows maybe there'll be a sixth one uh once uh, bruce willis uh goes back in time and de-ages himself a little bit or it gets uh, tom cruise to play him wearing a bruce willis mask in a, in a movie <laughs> that sounds amazing i would definitely watch that i plan on bundling up all of our episodes on die hard together and submitting them to the die hard battery company and hopefully getting a free car ah, battery yes. out of this so if you if you've listened to any of our other die hard movies or any of our other die hard episodes or all of them in fact this will be a conclusion so at the end of that one we'll go back and say okay this is what die hard's all about this is how it's evolved and everything so we'll be this will be a review of that movie but also a conclusion to our series so look forward to that yep and then we'll get to start a new series so i'm really excited for that as well if you enjoyed this episode uh you can subscribe to us on spotify itunes or wherever you get your podcasts And if you like this episode, then you can tell a friend about it. All you really have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat, or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel called Affable Chat. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash affablechat. That's going to conclude this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.